Hello and welcome to episode Joe Montana's record in the Super Bowl. That's four and oh. Yes, it's episode 40. My name is Cameron Hobbs. And my name is Paul Mitchell. Welcome to our Super Bowl review after a game that some liked and some didn't. The Patriots create history, the game creates history, not for the most exciting reasons, but it's in the can and congratulations to our Boston friends. So the Rams lost and the game was boring. Seems like the footballing gods were upset about something. We'll try and figure out what that was. <laughs> we'll be picking apart all the pieces of the game as usual and giving out our regular weekly awards for the last time this season. We'll be having a look at what's replacing the NFL for a few weeks at least and... We'll be chatting about all the latest news. All that to come here on the NFL Scotland podcast. So we'll kick off episode 40 then with the only place that we really can. Looking back at Super Bowl 53. And Paul, let's kick off with your thoughts on this one. It was a strange night. I have to say that because, as you know, and if people have been listening to the pod, I decided to support the Patriots, which I've never done before. And I'll tell you, what a strange experience that is. Because even when they weren't scoring the points, at no point was I, in fact, concerned. And bizarrely, and I said this to the, the, my mate James who was watching with, it's because you're sitting with the greatest quarterback of all time there, and you know that he's going to pull it out at some point. It's a very, very strange feeling doing that. It was a good, solid defensive game. And if that's how you like your football, that's fine. I think it's been a little bit harshly treated. It's not like players were tripping up and falling over and, you know, balls were sailing over people's head. It wasn't slapstick football. It wasn't the high-scoring affair that I think people were expecting. But there was no slapstick to it. And I think the coaching, the coaching was outstanding in the game from a New England point of view so what I'd like to do is actually throw a couple of things your way just to see how see how how you're reacting unlike Uh, Brandon Cooks I'm going to catch them (laughs) anyway we'll come back to that (laughs) the first one that I thought was strange is that's the biggest margin of victory that the Patriots have ever had in the Super Bowl (laughs) which is which is something absolutely It's, it's just incredible now interesting you know a couple of things that somebody said you know the offense scores 13 points but Edelman gets the MVP but the defense only gave up three was there not a chance to give it to I mean Gilmore was the obvious one with with the interception forcing fumbles was that not the Super Bowl to recognize a defensive player yes I I totally was and I thought that Gilmore played brilliantly you know he isn't targeted a lot as a cornerback he's one of the better ones Um, and in that in a Patriots defence that's not got, and we talked about this before, there's not necessarily five-star players across it take out Brady and Gronk. Um, he's a standout. For me, he's by far the best player. And he played brilliantly. You know, so many important tackles, um, a huge interception at a very important time of the game. And, yeah, it would have been a good time. I think I can get why Edelman got it, because... I. In a game where there was so little mustard on offense, he was a clear standout compared to everybody else. Uh, so many receptions. At one point in the first half, you know, James White's got the record for the most amount of receptions in a Super Bowl uh, of all time. And I thought, Edelman's going to beat it. You know, even though it's not high scoring, he's just catching the ball all the time. Wasn't to be, he wasn't targeted nearly as much in that second half, I don't think, as he was in the first. But yeah, you're right. I think this was a game about defenses on both sides. And I think the two defensive coordinators are the two people that come out of this 
with the most amount of glory on both sides. Yeah, now, I mean, a lot of people, I mean, Sean McVeigh himself has said he was outcoached, or, you know, him and his staff were outcoached. That's hard on Wade Phillips, who I don't think was outcoached. I think he knew exactly what he was doing. And that really, and you saw that with Tom Brady. How ironic is it that you can have a record-breaking Super Bowl performance and lose, you know, and then barely throw for a couple of hundred yards, but the extra ring goes on the finger. Totally. It's, and I mean, chalk and cheese. I don't think anyone would have expected this type of Super Bowl. Take it back to last year. We broke records for the most amount of points scored in the Super Bowl. During the season, we had the most amount of points scored in a game. And one of those teams was playing on the night. To go from that to 50 plus points to three in the Super Bowl. It's just an astronomical fall from glory on the offensive side of the ball. But actually, I had talked about in the run-up to this, the fact that the Rams' defence hadn't really been doing all that great. And actually, if, they'd, if they had done just enough to win, they would have been absolutely you know, glorified for only allowing 13 points from yeah. the Patriots. That in itself is an achievement. So you're right, I think Wade Phillips definitely comes out of this with a big plus. Um, I think the defence actually played really well. Aaron Donald showed what he was all about. But actually, the, the linebackers, I thought, played really well. There was a lot of runs that a couple of times Edelman made space, but that's just into clever play by the, the Patriots. Uh, really fascinating to hear the analysis. You know, the Rams obviously swapping between zone and man, and, you know, Brady was having to figure out what he was up against. Sometimes he could, he could see what was coming, and he knew exactly what to do. That's experience for me as well. On the quarterback front, that's the difference between the two teams. Jared Goff coming into his first, never been in that situation before. And there's, of course, the pressure's going to show. You see this at every level. You know, you make it to a final, it's a whole other kettle of fish. The build-up, the hype, you know, his nerves must have been going all week. And I think it's the same for McVeigh. So experience shone through. And that was the difference for me between the two teams. It was experience. We've been here. We've done it before. We know how to see it our game. We know how to manage teams. And that's exactly what the Patriots did. So now I want an argument with you. Right. Because we, we've sparred on Twitter about a couple of things. Um, so, so let's go through. When people talk about the coaching tree that we're hearing about and people want to find the next Sean McVeigh, yeah. I put it to you on Twitter that people should be looking for the next Bill Belichick, not the next Sean McVeigh. And so I think you have a point, but I think there's a more complicated point to be made with this. So hear me out on this one. And I, I went away and I thought about this because my gut was, no, 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 that doesn't feel right. It just doesn't feel right. I think, you look at Sean McVay, came into the league at 30, youngest ever. He's 33 now. He's half the age of Bill Belichick, right? Fine. So he's a lot younger. Bill Belichick took his first head coach job when he was about 30, 39 at the Browns. Now, obviously, he was at the Browns, but out of the four seasons there, he had one winning season, he was sacked. He went back to being a coordinator. He learned, spent time learning a lot as a coordinator. All that was then invested into the Patriots, and since then, he's been brilliant. So if you look at the progression, for me, that McVeigh's made at the age that he's at compared to Belichick, you take those two people at the same age, I'm looking for someone like Sean McVeigh. What I'm saying to Sean McVeigh is you now need to be the next Belichick. So I almost feel like if you're looking for someone new, I don't think there's anything wrong with looking for the new McVeigh, the young man that's doing things a bit different, but I think that man has to take that ability and become a Belichick. So it's almost like a... So I don't disagree with you, but I think that there's more to that picture than just be the next Belichick. I think you need to get the right attributes, the right drive, the right creativity. And then when you're there and you're solid, and I mean, it's a big season next year now for Sean McVeigh. He's improved from year one. He's taken them to Super Bowl. Well, the next progression is now you've got to go and win it. 
If they tank and they fall out of the playoffs, then questions are going to be asked. He needs to at least make the playoffs again. Um, or you're right, and it's a flash-in-the-pan novelty thing. But I, I don't know, I feel like there's more to him. But I think you're right. I think what you say to Sean McVeigh is, you now need to target Belichick. Yeah, oh, absolutely right. So, a couple of great statements that we found online. The future of football might be offence, but Bill Belichick showed on Sunday night that while he's still coaching, the future of football's on hold. <laughs> Discuss. <laughs> and it's, do you know what? It's it's true because it's clever coaching. Clever coaching is, is, is every bit as important as having a great offence and having a great defence. Because if you've got the best offence in the world, if the team that you're up against figures out your weakness and is stopping you from doing what you can do, you're in trouble. And actually, Andy Reid deserves a little bit of credit, I think, even going back to the championship game, because they were terrible in that first half, and he made the adjustments. He changed things around and figured out a way to start getting Mahomes into the game, get the targets, and Sammy Watkins ended up having an absolute monster of a game. Now, nobody would have guessed that going into it, but that was a forced, they were forced to make those changes. Andy Reid, I think, is a probably, in my view, the sort of long-term existing coach that's come out with the most amount of credit this year. I don't think anyone's ever thought Andy Reid was a bad coach, but I think actually he's shown he's actually a really good coach. Um, from Belichick, we're not surprised by this at all, you know. And this whole, it takes me back to this whole oh, bet against us thing. Nonsense! No one was ever <laughs> betting against you. Um, you know, people, and the same conversations will happen this year. And if Brady's going to keep going. Um, and it remains to be seen if he will, he says he's going to, but if he keeps going, he's going to face that question every year. Because at some point, he is going to go on the slide. He's not going to continue the same level of performance forever, unless he is made of machine, unless he is a Terminator. Wouldn't surprise me. Could be a cyborg. Uh, (laughs) I I think what's interesting is, I think when you saw, I mean, Bill Bill Belichick doesn't let his emotions go, we know that. But if you saw the the interview with Jim Nance, there was a smile on there. This Super Bowl may have brought him almost as much satisfaction as the first one, because I think he realised that he's not won this with a Lamborghini. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he's won it with a, you know, a decent motor, but, you know, not top of the range. And I, I just was very, very impressed with that. So, need to throw another one at you. Right. Skip Bayless. Now, if people don't know who Skip Bayless is, you can go and look it up. But he, he's known as being a tad controversial in the States. So, Skip Bayless. The harsh truth is this. The Rams didn't deserve to be in the game anyway. Breeze would have done more damage to the New England defence than Goff was able to. I still have your back, Saints fans. <laughs> I, we, in the Super Bowl party that I had, there was five of us there. One had gone home, so the four of us remaining all commented at the end saying, if that had been the Saints, that game would have been completely different. And it's butts and maybes. Um, absolutely. Do you know what? I, I agree with them. Uh, the Saints would have done better. The Rams have been on the slide. They they benefited from a fortuitous play. It wasn't Goff that beat the Saints. It was Greg the Leg and the defence because they made that big pick. Goff just had to get a couple more yards to get them into range and boom, there it's done. Um, and I think that unfortunately for them, there's, there's question marks for me around Garley. He yes. was. He's not the same player now. He got a lot more touches. He had touched Anderson. There was a couple of plays where he looked like he might break away. He just wasn't himself. But at the same time, I thought Belichick played it brilliantly, and Tony Romo's uh, analysis was tremendous, incidentally, once again. But you know, talking about the fact that the defense was playing straight down the park rather than going out wide and yes. allowing the spaces, they knew what was coming because Gurley's brilliant. He's their best option. 
You stop that, you're reliant on golf. Golf under pressure starts to wobble and the head goes down. You know, and in a way, if you look back at last year's Super Bowl, I think, you know, when Nick Foles, people kind of half expected the same thing. The difference with Foles is he hit it early on. And then it's the opposite effect. You, you keep hitting things. Oh, my confidence is yeah. up. Let's do this. And it's in the game, in the moment, in the crowd, that atmosphere, the hype, the media, everything that's going around you. You know the world's watching you. Um, and the pressure pulled. So at the start of the podcast, I mentioned um, a tweet that came from All Saints Considered. Mm. And I basically paraphrased that. The Rams lost. The game was boring. Seems like the football gods are upset about something. Now, you then add in other factors to that that looks like this was produced, written, out in New Orleans. No touchdowns for only the second time in Super Bowl history did a team not score a touchdown. Now, they would have been praying for that in New Orleans. Um, <laughs> to end the game effectively, Greg the Leg misses. Yeah. They would have been looking for that in New Orleans. Now, I don't believe in all this video stuff, yeah. but I think there was a fair bit of work going on down there in Louisiana. Just to jump to Louisiana, interesting that there was a big parade down Bourbon Street to protest the fact they weren't there. Now, if people think, what are they having a protest for? Believe me, it was a party. Any excuse for a party in New Orleans will do. It doesn't really matter what you're pro protesting. However, a 26.1 share in American TV and market in a football daft state shows that they were simply turned off by that. So that, that I thought, was quite interesting. The Times-Picayune front page was Super Bowl. What Super Bowl? And it was blank apart from that which I thought was really, really good. Um, so, you know, they, they do some nice, funny stuff. And, you know, again, they weren't wishing the players ill, but I think they made their point. But we have to talk about Sean Payton and the clown T-shirt. Before we do, I'm just going to add two things. One, it adds a new meaning to Mardi and Mardi Gras. It's going to be particularly Mardi in New Orleans this year. Two, one other bit of voodoo. What was the final score in the game? 13-3. What was the Saints' record during the season? 13-3 ah. <laughs> so I just tell you someone's been up at some point with a voodoo doll <laughs> they've, they've been working hard that's for sure <laughs> and how much was this down to the fact that Sean McVay's pullback coach um, the gentleman that's been moving on the sideline he wasn't there because he's been injured apparently so it wasn't his number one guy that normally pulls him up maybe he was the most valuable player across the season who knows who knows um, but yes the clown t-shirt was he wearing that clown t-shirt or not? Oh, yes, he, he was. was. There's no doubt about it. But that is utter genius, to wear a little V with just <laughs> enough. enough. <laughs> and now, if you've not see, seen the t-shirt, they're going around New Orleans with these wonderful t-shirts with a picture of Roger Goodell as a clown. And Sean Payton was clearly wearing one underneath a jersey in an interview. <laughs> Honestly. Clear enough that you know, yeah. but not clear enough that he's going to get in trouble. Yeah. 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 Or at least you don't think so. Utter genius. <laughs> loved it, loved it, and loved it. In terms of, let, let, let's touch a little bit on the, the, the television coverage. I thought, good job by both BBC and yeah. Sky again. Very solid across the board, I thought. In terms of my men of the match, if you like, I think Mark Chapman's just got a little bit more than Neil Reynolds on the host because he's a television professional, whereas there's no doubt Neil Reynolds has got more NFL knowledge. Jeff yeah. um, Reinbold, Rex Ryan, always, always pretty good. The difference for me is Mike Carlson. Yeah, yeah, he's brilliant because Mike's <laughs> he's been around for so long covering the game. He's got the knowledge, he's got the wit, 
but he's got that right level of British sarcasm that just plays nicely. He's not rude with it, he's not patronising with it, he can talk about the game as good as anybody, but he can deliver it in a way that's actually really funny to the British audience, and I think that's what makes him quite unique in the marketplace that he's in. Um, I think that the BBC are more willing to be a little bit... Uh, call a spade a spade. I think that sometimes Sky can be a bit more... everything's coming up rosy. Well, um, they're almost the network of the, yes, the NFL, yeah. and that's part of the problem in that sense. Yeah. Uh, but I think Mike Carlson just gives you the little acid drops now and then, yeah. just enough, as I said, just to, to keep things right. And he's not afraid to have a little pop at, you know, Mark Chapman and, yeah. and bring him. So, I, I generally, honestly, a really good job. And that's where you hope the people who evaluate these things just say, tell you what, that's our team. Yeah. You're going again. Totally. I think, do you know what, and it's, it's something that's come up, you know, the growth of the game, and I think a big part of the growth of the game in the UK, obviously, they're bringing games over, there's more content available. But actually, the, the the two sets of coverage across the BBC with a highlight show that they do and on Sky with the great guests that they've now got Jeff's brilliant you know they are getting people like Ryan in and that's uh, Sean Gale's brilliant as well it's actually really good coverage we've never had it better no and, and a good shout to TalkSport as well because yeah. TalkSport do an excellent coverage during the season both with their uh, Red Zone style show and both with the, the Sunday night football. Personally, and I know it's hard work for the guys, I'd like to see them on all night yeah. rather than that break. Even if that means negotiating getting a, a second commentary game somewhere along the way. Because, I mean, I love listening to football yeah. on the radio. I listen to the Patriots Chiefs on the radio. There's something brilliant about it. So if I had a wee quibble, that's where I'd like to see them come on and not be taken off for the darts or anything like that. Just stay on, because Nat Coombs, Will Gavin, etc. do a hell of a job on there. Just a couple of things on figures over here. I mean, the BBC are releasing to say that without a lead-in from Match of the Day, oh, about 835,000 was their average audience. That's not bad for yeah. 11 o'clock at night to 2 in the morning. Yeah. Uh, Sky, they reckon, because the figures won't come out till next week, will be between 100 and 200 Sky will always lose out to the BBC. It just seems to be that mentality. Yeah. It's the same and the same on ITV and BBC. The BBC always tends to win. The Championship Games on Sky. Uh, down last year for the first one, which had a peak of 274,000 Rams Saints. But it was Pat's Jags. Yeah. Uh, two very popular teams. Yes, I mean, the Jags obviously have got a presence and it's been effective. If You know, I was at the first Niners-Jags game and there was very little in the way of Jacksonville Jaguars support. And then last year when I was at the Jags Eagles, you can clearly see that the, the Jags influence is definitely raining its way through London. Um, so they're a much more supported team than they were. And the Patriots are a heavily supported team. Whether it be people that have supported them forever, whether it be people that have maybe just supported them since the beginning of the millennium, or whether it's just a bandwagon jumper that likes to back a winner. There's, those people exist yeah. in every sport. So, you but, know. But um, you're borne out on that by the, the second game on Championship Sunday was up 20%, and that featured the Patriots. Absolutely. So, again, that, that's the way it goes. But just, just some interesting. Interesting numbers from, from there, from the, from the TV and radio camera. I thought it was really interesting. Uh, it was Netflix in the US put out a tweet uh, during the game to say that they had seen their average numbers for a Sunday down 32%. Obviously, and they posted something tongue-in-cheek, oh, there's something called the Super Bowl going on, you know. It, it still has massive reach. I think, what was it? It was between 4 and $5 million for a 30-second 
uh, television advert. It's just astronomical money. And the TV ads have almost become as much synonymous with the Super Bowl as the halftime show has. It's big business and it keeps you tuned to the TV all the way through. It's yeah, great. We just couldn't afford to put on that NFL Scotland podcast <laughs> trailer. Next year. Next year. That, that, so we, we could crowdfund that actually. There's the idea. If you've got a spare four or five million dollars, uh, we'd love to we'd love to hear from you. So we can't fully move on from this until we at least touch on the four records that were set because we mentioned that the game didn't perhaps live up to expectations but the four records that were set were one the lowest scoring Super Bowl ever not a great sexy statistic in any shape or form number two the longest punt ever in the Super Bowl again not particularly sexy and the oldest quarterback and the oldest head coach to ever win the Super Bowl it's not really got the sort of you know, the draw, the headlines that go with some of the records that we set the previous year. No, I mean, in fact, the Super Bowl has been rated as so bad, they've asked me to go and narrate the official film. <laughs> Give gravelly voice the day off, and I'll go out and do it. So you've heard our thoughts on the game, but we thought it's only fair that we get the input from a New England Patriots fan. So delighted to be joined then by Ross Henderson. Those of you that listened to our podcast right at the start may remember we had Ross as a Patriots fan on last year and he was good enough to come on after they lost to the Eagles and talk about the game. So we decided it's only fair he gets his moment of glory. So welcome back, Ross. How did you enjoy the game this year? Thank you, Cameron. Um, a lot more than last year, certainly. <laughs> um, from a Patriots fan standpoint, I think the game is considerably less of less quality than, than the... Eagles game but I think it was a prime example of the value of coaches in this league it, it really showed I think Belichick demonstrated why he is the best um, This there was certainly no player I think really excelled themselves other than maybe Julian Edelman and Sonny Michel this really was a, a kind of coaches battle I think on the field today and you saw just why Belichick is the best because he completely outclassed what was probably the most innovative and certainly the, the hottest quote unquote were you confident going into the game? Did you think that the you know the the postseason Patriots are a different beast? And obviously that was a big important win over the Chiefs that maybe a lot of people didn't think you would do. Were you more conf- confident coming into this game than you were against the Chiefs the two weeks before? Uh, yeah, I think that's probably fair. Coming to the playoffs as a whole, I wasn't especially confident. Um, I think we're a little bit out of form. Um, I think some of our key players that normally turn up. Um, at the end of the season, maybe weren't there as much I'm looking at someone like Julian Edelman and Rob Gronkowski, for example. Um, but you're right, the, the Patriots are a different beast in the, in the playoffs. They're, they're probably one of the few teams that prepare for the playoffs by resting players. They, they don't need to, um, you know, up their game to get into the end of the season. They're actually able to rest players because they're so far ahead of the rest of the conference. And I think you saw that. Um, players like Gronkowski that maybe struggled mid-season with some kind of niggling injuries and maybe some fitness issues was excelling in the playoffs because he had that extra rest and was able to spend more time training, you know, watching film. And you, you, you did see that. Um, it's traditional that you get the, the unnamed player coming up big for the Patriots in the, at the end of the season. But I think this game showed the value of having veterans. You know, it was the classic Belichick line of do your job was, was the prime example here because every single player just played to their level. There was no one massively excelled but at the same time no one made mistakes and, and what that meant was that the, the Rams had to come out and they had to play to that level and unfortunately then a number of key players fell below their, their probable standard 
um, and that meant the Patriots were able to go on and pick up the win. As the game went on, obviously you lost Chung to injury. It looked as though high tire might have had a problem himself. A little bit of worry there. Were you getting concerned the longer it went and you weren't scoring? Yes, but I think that the longer we went without scoring was a concern. But what I think was was quite surprising that the Rams were never in a position to capitalise. You know, they were constantly going back. You know, I think it was seven or eight punts in a row from every time they had possession. Yeah. You know, so the concern was that they might well expose one play, but they never, I, I can't even remember, I don't think they got in the red zone the entire game, Patriots, so while the defence were, were struggling at points, what they were doing was they were just constantly pushing back at them. The Rams' offence were so poor that there was never really a threat, whilst the Patriots' offence really did struggle at times. The Rams never got into a half, really, and they didn't get into the red zone the entire game, and I think that's quite remarkable, and it shows the impact that the defensive planning did, and I know Flores is the way to the Rams and I think that if you compare it to last year where we were potentially going to be losing Josh McDaniels and of course we lost um, Matt Patricia this year we're losing a, um, a really good offensive coach who's coming off a high for the last year we were looking at two coaches that were potentially leaving coming off a rope um, and it's quite an unusual situation because now you can only see the Patriots getting better you know the team really what Player for player, was probably weaker than the other five, sorry, six Super Bowl winning teams. Um, and you can see gaps already that I'm sure Bill's probably working his way through the college draft and now looking to see what he can fix it because immediately we're going to be looking at additional wide receivers to be coming in. And I think we're probably looking quite a few defensive players to come in, despite the fact that they just beat the fourth best offense, uh, sorry, the fourth best offensive team of all time, you know, to three points in the Super Bowl, which is really remarkable. Yeah, Ross, I, w- I was wondering because I-, I was supporting the Patriots as a Saints fan uh, during the Super Bowl and what was worrying me was the fact that you weren't putting up the points but your drives were being at least sustained whereas the number of three and outs from the Rams was quite remarkable and if it wasn't for their punter and you're right, eight consecutive punts including a 65-yarder I think that I think without the good punting, I think the New England Patriots would have put the game away a lot quicker. Yeah, I agree. Um, the punting is actually... Special teams tend to play a big role in, in the Super Bowl, um, and it's been one of those untold stories because the box score doesn't really show the impact of punting, but you're right, absolutely, that a lot of the drives that Brady started were in his own 20-yard line, and they had to push on. He was getting maybe 60 yards or so, and then he was kind of stumbling a wee bit. But I think, in terms of... If you're looking at kind of the lack of conversions for third down, I think that demonstrates how poor the running game was for the Rams. Um, if you looking at Sony Michelle with 18 carries for 94 yards, five yards a carry isn't exactly breaking any records, but it shows you that that, mean, that meant they were converting third down, they were getting a different yardage, and the Rams simply weren't getting the ball. Um, and I think all the Russian players this year have kind of slowly come in to, to fix some of the problems for the, for the Patriots and then when you get into the Super Bowl what you really need is to have an identity and the, the Patriots had that and what they did to the Rams was take away their identity and they had no plan B um, which I think was really surprising given that Sean McVay is known for his creativity and his play call um, especially with, with this um, Rams team Indeed. Now, we're going to wrap up with one last question for you because I think this is one of the talking points that will be buzzing around for the next couple of months. So three players in question, well, three people in question, Brady, Gronk, Belichick. Do you think all three are back next season or do you 
think any one of those is going to take this moment to bow out on a high. Uh, I'll start with the safest. I'm 99% certain Belichick will be back. I don't see... He's not certainly made no indication he'll be leaving. Um, I think he'll leave one day, but he'll be staying for at least the next two or three. I also think Brady will stay. He seems highly confident he's going to stay until he's 45, and that's been the, the big thing this Super Bowl compared to last year, but he's, he's now put a date on it. He said he wants to play until he's 45, and he's really clear on that. I think that... I, I have no reason to suggest that he's playing with decrease to such a level that we need to change before then. So that'll be three years. Um, Gronk is the difficult one because you can see that Gronk's beat up um, and he isn't... The tight end isn't a position that you can hide injuries or hide wear and tear. It, it is probably the, the most physical position out with the running back, of course. Um, does he come back? I think even if he does, he's going to be in a much more limited role than he would be in previous years. Um, I think you'll see him more as a blocker than you saw him as a kind of dominant, almost wide receiver-like player. I hope he does come back. I think he probably is, in my opinion, and of course it's highly biased, is that he's the greatest tight end of all time. <laughs> and you don't want to see him, you know, stay beyond his beyond his worth, because that does often damage your reputation. Um, but I think he'll stay for one more year, um, and then we'll see how it goes from there. Brilliant. Thank you for joining us again, Ross. Uh, your glory this year round. Enjoy it. I'm sure we'll speak to you again sometime soon. All coming. All the best. So for the final time of this season, we're having a look at the NFL Scotland Awards. We've really enjoyed these awards this year. Are they coming back for next year? That's the question. We're going to actually take a, some time. We're going to consider it. We'll probably have to go on a retreat somewhere, preferably in the States. <laughs> and we'll figure out and we'll come back. But for now... Cameron, you know, again, great feedback from people. We can't thank everybody, but loads of people engage with us when we ask for our awards. So who's coming up as, as having had good weeks? Well, the first person to get in touch was Alan Donald. Uh, he wanted to nominate the same person for the most Scottish-like performance and Honkin Award. And that was Maroon 5. Oh. So we'll touch on this briefly because we've not talked about it, but it was an underwhelming halftime performance. Well, at one point they were leading because it was Maroon 5, Rams 0, <laughs> Patriots 3. So give them their credit where credit's due. They did lead for a while. I um, mean, yeah, we've had Destiny Child reboots uh, or reunions. We've had Justin Timberlake working his way from a club out through the, the crowd, getting in amongst it all. We've had Lady Gaga jumping from the top of the stadium. And now we've had Adam Levine taking his top off. Yeah, I mean... We, we, Where's, where's the fearless? Janet Jackson got into trouble Absolutely. for Absolutely! Only one nipple she showed. Exactly. Well, there, there's another joke in there, but I'm not going to... I just found it very underwhelming, and I think the Super Bowl halftime show have got a problem. Yeah. For It's very difficult for most people to say, well, because you like different types of music. But there was nothing in that, I thought, for the casual fan. I mean, somebody tweeted, Maroon 5 are the rock band for people who don't like rock music. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they've done some great songs, Payphone, and, you know, some good songs, but to me, it was trying to be too different. Uh, I thought the anthem was very good. Yes. Just a shame Gladys Knight never got a chance to finish doing her hair before she came out. <laughs> but, boy, did she sing well. But, yeah, I mean, that, that disappointed me. So, yeah, any anything that's got honking attached to it as well, uh, Maroon 5 can have. Yes. Um, for me... Do you know what? It felt like something that you could have seen at the Hydro in Glasgow for 50 quid. 
Yeah. Nah, nothing special there at all, really. So, a bit disappointing already. Right, Liam Young's been in touch, though. So, most Scottish-like performance, he gives that to Brandon Cooks. I mean, he literally had the win in his hands twice. It's a valid point. But I think he did, but for both, it was good defensive play. Oh, I mean, there was great defensive yeah. plays. I mean, to be fair. Interestingly, you know, I, I at one point, you know, I, I turned to the James I was watching it with, and it was what... You know that that three each at the time. I said, "Look, Brady will score, and Goff will throw an interception." You can see you can yeah. see it coming a mile off. Uh, he also says McVeigh and Goff for honking because their game plan was honking, and Stephen Gilmore the real MVP. So he agrees with you Absolutely. on that one. Um, we also had Mabinex. I'm never sure how to pronounce these names. Most Scottish like performance, both offenses. I think it's a valid point on there. Honkin goes to Todd Gurley for him and had his porridge, Minitron, a.k.a. Julian Edelman. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of talk about Julian Edelman and the number of championships that he's won and could he be going into the the Hall of Fame. The one thing that helps him is the fact that he got the MVP. Uh, because he's not, I mean, he's not a stud receiver. He's a really, really good player. But the Hall of Fame tends to be for the elite and I'm not sure he's there. Although you put that on your resume and that does make a difference. And then Colin Simpson got in touch to say Honkinor goes to Sean McVeigh for struggling to come up with any plans that lay the glove on the Patriots. Maroon 5 run him close for stinking up the halftime show. Edelman has had his porridge and the boys at Off the Ball were honking for their predictable take on the NFL. Well, let's talk briefly about a year on Off the Ball on Saturday. Now, we always knew that Stuart and Tam were going to be slightly anti-NFL. You then knew that Tam might be the one to move. And ironically, I mean, Stuart's been to the Super Bowl. Yeah. Now, he's not daft as, as our Stuart Cosgrove. He knew exactly what, what you were up to, and he knew exactly the part he was playing. <laughs> and I actually quite enjoyed it. Apparently, because I've not heard it, because some of us were working, uh, there was a wee pop in my hair. Which I don't appreciate in any way, but I'm sure you stood up for me. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. I didn't laugh at that joke no. at all. Not once, not once. Um, do you know what a great experience? Great experience for the opportunity to go and off the ball. And yeah, it was a hard sell. But do you know what? I think think Tam briefly, it was the food that brought him round. Shock yeah. horror, who would have guessed that? I played to his weakness. Of course I was going in with the food approach. Um, but, you know, great for them to have me on and to, to talk some American football. So I, I don't think I've quite sold them yet. But maybe next year. No, but you did have the line of the day about helmets. <laughs> yeah. They've cut that from the podcast as well. So if you didn't hear it, if you didn't hear it, I, I was quite. And you know what? I was happy because Stuart Cosgrove properly laughed at it. Happy, as well. I nearly crashed the car. <laughs> Um, yes, it was. It, it was a good moment. I laughed admit, I walked away from it going. I was happy with that. That was good. <laughs> a, a great experience, uh, and you know, thanks to the BBC for having us. But let's hope it's the first of many opportunities for us here at the NFL Scotland podcast. I'll tell you, it'd be good if they get you back at the same time next year yes. to try and you know say let's have another little look, you know, and, and perhaps you could take through some food. Absolutely, I think that sounds like a good idea. I'm sure Stuart and Tam are uh, listening to this podcast now after having me on. Oh, absolutely. So let's wrap up then with the news, Paul. What takes your fancy? Dolphins have got a new head coach. Yeah. Is, is Brian Flores a good hire for Miami? Yeah, on the surface of it, it seems to be. I think that they definitely need to change. They need a new approach. They need someone that's going to go in and do things differently. And compared to Adam Gase, I feel like he is someone who's deserving of the chance. Absolutely. Um, I think he's got a tough job is a challenge. I think that, you know... 
in that division, all three of the head coaches, um, I've got a really tough job against a Patriots team that's not getting any weaker. Uh, they're getting older, but they're not getting weaker. So, But I always think you're not coaching against Bill Belichick. Yeah. You're coaching against the other two teams. Yeah. Because success for me is that you constantly finish second. So if I'm Miami, Jets are in my rear view and the Bills are in the rear view and you build a team that beats them constantly and shows you as the main threat to the Patriots. <laughs> what unnerves me about every unveiling of a head coach for Buffalo, for Miami and for the you know the Jets is nobody in this, t- you know, say, t- say the last 10 years has constantly gone after the Patriots, been given that chance to build, Todd Bowles had a chance, yeah. was unable to do it. And, and that's what disappoints me, you know, that nobody's been able to just finish that comfortable second. You always say, well, you know, we know the Pats are going on it, but, you know, Bills will always be second. Yeah. Nobody's been able to do that. It felt at one point like the Jets looked as though they'd maybe sorted themselves out a little bit. Yeah. Their defence was brilliant and you know Sanchez was actually playing well and then it just went the same way again, just down the toilet. You're right, um, and we really need someone to come away from that pack and step out. Uh, the Patriots can be beaten. We saw the Dolphins do it okay on a sort of fluky, ridiculous last play of the game. They still did it, uh, and it can be done. So you know someone can come out, break away from the crowd, like you say, there's two rookie quarterbacks in that division still. Darnold and Allen. Now, Allen, for me, remains to be seen. Fine, he was running around, but with the same Lamar Jackson, you're not going to run around like that for long as a quarterback. You're just not. Darnold started strong, sort of ended in a decent place. When we spoke to Jim Ballard, he certainly thought that he had the skill set for it. Yep. Um, he has to have the pieces around him to be a success. It'll be an interesting second season for him. For me, obviously, they've still not, you know, the, the word is they've not decided on Tannehill in Miami. There's a lot of chat that they're going to move away from him and cut him. That seems to be the expectation. Well, that's all good and well, as long as you get someone in to replace him. So you're maybe looking at Flacco. You're maybe looking at Foles. Trade for Foles now that he's probably going to sign an extension with the Eagles. So, you know, getting rid of Tannehill is one thing. But if you don't get someone decent in to replace him, you're not going to go anywhere particularly fast. And that's where pressure comes on a new head coach. That's difficult. If you've got a new head coach and a new quarterback starting from scratch, if it's someone young... Well, look at Arizona. I mean, one year. Yeah. One year, bye. Absolutely. That's wrong. I totally agree. Unless, and I think we said it when when he got sacked, unless there's an element of complete dysfunction in the organisation, you should never be one and done. Never. Uh, In terms of news, I mean, there's, there's, there's two things. The Alliance of America League kicks off on Sunday. CBS are the television partner for the league. They've gone at it. They're not giving you a chance to, to stop watching football. And and they're giving it a go in nice sunny places. What do you make of it? Yeah, it's, it, this is going to be fascinating. There's a lot of hype. And I think the most interesting thing that's come out of this is the fact that it's not just CBS, but the NFL Network are going to show a game every week. I think the one thing that we've got is, you say obviously both games uh, kick off on Sunday, it's actually Saturday in the US, but because it's 8 o'clock kickoffs Eastern time, it works out as 1am for us. So it's a difficult thing to watch. 
Um, I'm not sure if you'll be able to pick up those games in the UK or not. The games that have been picked up by the NFL Network, which you will to watch if you've got Game Pass, uh, do kick off Monday morning, 1am. <sighs> so, uh, yeah, you might get it on re replay. You might end up with highlights on the NFL Network. So, we'll be interested to see what kind of coverage we'll get here in the UK. Um, some interesting games. So, you've got Atlanta, Orlando and San Diego, San Antonio kicking off at the same time on Saturday to get it all underway. Then it's Memphis, Birmingham and Salt Lake, Arizona on the Sunday. Those games are played differently, so you can watch one and then the other. Um, it, it genuinely is going to be fascinating. Uh, I'm intrigued to see what this league's going to be about. I think you know we need to give them this first season anyway to get things underway. They're going to do things differently. It'll be interesting to see what kind of attendances they're getting, what is the quality of play. And actually, the first couple of weeks could make or break it in that sense. If, if the attendances aren't great, but the teams come out and play a really good game, more people will go. If there's loads of people there and it's a bit of a shambles, then you're going to get the opposite effect. So um, it's not a very forgiving environment, the sporting world. So No, and we, we've seen leagues come and go, but I think this, the significant thing is CBS are showing it. Hmm. They're putting a lot of their frontline talent onto it, which is great. So the games will sound similar to the NFL. Yeah. I also think that the NFL network are playing it quite coy. You pick up one game, so there's three hours worth of programming you don't have to make. Yeah. What I think they'll do, if I was them, is I think you'll see that they'll pick up all of the games and just show them during the week, you know, that dead between 12 and 3 in the afternoon slot because if you watch the NFL network over that summer, I mean, some of the stuff they have to think about, to talk yeah. about, is just nonsense. Yeah. There you're looking at live fresh new content and I think they will if it succeeds they will pick up more and more and more and I think they will integrate it in and it will be seen as a junior partner to, to the NFL because simply they need content they want people they want clicks they want eyeballs they want hits they want all of that and I think that's where it can come from yeah, absolutely. And let's hope that it is a success because if it is, then we're going to get football all the way through to the end of April and we'll embrace that fully. You need to nail your colours to the master because uh, one of our good mates, Chris, got in touch and said, come on, boys, who are you following? So I, I'm going with where my gut went right away and I'm picking up the San Diego fleet as my team. I really like, I like the name. I like the logo, I love the colours. I think the grey and the yellow is just brilliant. My living room has got very similar colour style to it. I just think it, it looks great. Um, obviously, being a 49ers fan, I've got an affinity to California, so I'm going to stay in-state. I'm going to pick, pick up the San Diego fleet. I'm going to go with Orlando. Right. Uh, because, you know, I'm, I'm, I love Florida. Yeah. As you know, that's where my baseball team reside. So I'm going to pick up Orlando and we'll see how they go. Steve Spurrier in there. There's not a team in Louisiana, so I'll, 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 I'll keep it in Florida. <laughs> yeah, we'll put little asterisks next to these. We reserve the right to change our mind if our teams are honking. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> if, they, if, they, if they get honking awards. But I think I think it's the, the Memphis legends that look like something out of Burger King. Yeah. yeah. That is the worst <laughs> logo going. Please change it. Yeah, some interesting logos in there. Uh, but it'll be fascinating. So we'll stay tuned. We'll probably cover that at some point during the off-season as well, give wee updates as how things are going. Yeah, now, we're quite far into this podcast. We're nearly at the end, and I can't believe we've not touched on the most important thing of the whole weekend in any great depth. And that was the number one advert from the Super Bowl. 
commercials. And boy, were there some good ones this year. There really, really was. Um, and I think that there's a couple of you know, highly commendables come out of this. I thought the Hyundai one was really clever. The guy in the lift, Jason Bateman, as they're going through the levels. Tremendous. Brilliant. Really, really good. Um, the Walmart one with all the cars from the 80s has obviously got that lovely nostalgic yep. feel to it. Uh, Craig Patterson with these Nuts was another one of my personal favourites. Very childish humour, but, you know, it certainly made me, tick, it made me laugh, so plus points on there. Uh, I think it's... Sarah Michelle Geller with yes, the hand cream. Absolutely. That, now that was clever. Really <laughs> like that. Uh, there's a theme coming here. Christina Applegate. <laughs> M&M's. That, that was outstanding. Now, if you're hearing us talk about these, just go to YouTube and check them out. They're yeah. absolutely brilliant. The M&M. But... There's I, a clear winner. I, also, a wee nod to Amazon. And some of that. Forrest Whitaker was brilliant. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Harrison Ford himself. Harrison Ford and the dog was probably the best <laughs> acting performance out of any of them. That, that was genius. And before we announce what we what our favourite was, because we've discussed this and we agree, the NFL 100 ad was oh. very good as well. Very well put together. And if that's the sort of content we're going to get this year, brilliant. Can't wait. Absolutely. That's worth a look. But. 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 <laughs> Bud Light. <laughs> getting a, a delivery of corn syrup and a massive big barrel now it's interesting because you say game of thrones i i because i've not watched game of thrones yeah. i link it to things like lord of the rings yeah, and there's yeah. also there's a spoof uh radio 4 program a comedy program which is all about legends and quest um elven quest yeah. And that's what it reminded me of, that idea of somebody's going on a quest. So it is very, you know, Game of Thrones is the trendy thing. To go to the Miller Castle to deliver it was genius. <laughs> but then to be told, no, it actually belonged to the Coors Kingdom and to take it there, that was even funnier. <laughs> Brilliant. Love it. I mean, Bud Light... Yeah, absolutely. Yes. No, I totally agree, and I think that's the winner. And I think even the, there's the other Bud Light one as well, which is definitely very Game of Thrones, where the, the Bud Light Knight came yes. out and gets the jousting. Now, obviously, if you've not watched it, that would have been slightly missed on you, but one of the characters that destroyed him is from Game of Thrones. In comes the dragon. Bud Light won the half uh, the Super Bowl ad. Absolutely, hands down. Tremendous. It was brilliant. So we've got some advert to get out next year for the NFL Scotland <laughs> podcast. That's for sure. Remember, we are looking for crowdfunding of around about $5 million. Brilliant. Right. Well, that concludes everything then for episode 14. We hope you've enjoyed listening. Again, we'd love to hear your feedback, good and bad. Make sure that you continue to follow us on Twitter at ScotlandNFL and on Facebook, www.facebook.com forward slash Scotland NFL. We are over a year old, hard to believe, but the only way we made it this far is to say thank you to you for listening, thank you to for following and for tweeting. Thanks for all your pictures as well on Super Bowl Sunday of your food. That was absolutely tremendous. We really enjoyed seeing that. It really was. And we'll start to slow down a little bit in the off-season, but we will continue to be back here pretty regularly. Uh, we'll probably have a bit of a full-season review, I think. We'd really need to pick apart some of our highlights over the year, so we'll be doing that. Stay tuned. We'll be back with you very soon so until then keep watching as much football as you can on repeat check out the new alliance of america league and check out the next day we'll be back with our podcast from cameron and from myself paul thanks for listening bye for now